Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Chris? Doing great. Doing great. Again, we're continuing on this spring topic. So, I know last week we talked about managing horses on spring pastures, but now we want to talk a little bit more about managing your pastures, especially those in the spring. I think this is a great topic that is a tool that's underutilized quite a bit is how do we actually do a good job managing our pasture to meet our goals? No, it it, it is. And it's one of those things where you just can't throw grass seeds out there and, and just pray and everything works. And you actually have, <laughs> have to manage it, right? I mean, it does, it is a little bit labor intensive, but maybe not so much in like a barn, right? But it's still, it still takes some management. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things you need to identify at the very start is what is the goal of my turnout? Is my goal to provide a significant source of the horse's forage for some portion of the year Or is my goal to provide socialization, exercise, just that mental relief of being outside? Because if your goal is the first one, it is time-consuming and expensive in a lot of places to truly manage a pasture to provide good quality forage for a large portion of time for the horse. Very true. Very true. It does take a lot of of labor. But I guess we should we should jump into to, to why you would want to manage those pastures or provide pastures for horses. Some of the benefits that are given, I think one of the first things, especially, you know, here I have a nutritionist. So what are some of the nutrients that horses are getting from pasture that are critical for them? So the biggest one is going to be fiber. And I know that's technically not a nutrient class when you think about it. But as we've talked about in a lot of past podcasts, the horse's digestive system was designed to digest forage. So they need that good quality fiber to keep the hindgut healthy and moving. So it's a great source of fiber. Coming along with that, for many horses, it'd be a large portion of the calories in their diet, so energy. You also get a lot of protein sometimes, depending on if we're talking about certain types of forage. You're going to get trace nutrients like calcium, You get more vitamins in fresh grass than you do in cut hay, but not necessarily all of the horse's vitamin needs. It is important to realize that even when horses are out on good quality pasture, we're still not going to fill in all the gaps. So, you know, there are certain trace minerals, vitamins, amino acids that even your good quality pasture won't provide, but it can provide a good portion of the horse's nutrients, provided it's a really plentiful source of forage. So not something that's like overgrazed to the point where there's nothing out there. Right, right. I used to always talk about, you know, maintenance diet, a horse that's just a a pasture ornament, you know, somebody that just owns it, likes to look at it. We used to say they could, they could sustain themselves on a hundred percent forage diet. But again, one of the things I think is critical that we don't think about is, is soil deficiencies in certain minerals. I mean, that's an important consideration in certain parts of the country, isn't it? Like in the U.S. and Canada and elsewhere, certain soils are deficient in certain minerals. Absolutely. And really, for all pasture, you should be soil testing and applying fertilizer based on those tests. 
I think it's important to realize even your pasture horse on well-fertilized soil is not going to get all of its trace mineral requirements just from that pasture. So copper and zinc specifically, even on great pasture, even if that horse is doing absolutely nothing, we won't actually meet their minimum requirement. And we've talked a lot about surviving versus thriving. And those horses very well can survive many, many years like that. They won't necessarily thrive and they won't necessarily have that nutrient cup full enough to withstand some sort of pressure, some sort of challenge on their body, whether that's a sickness or whatever coming through. So even your pasture ornament horse, I would recommend that we feed a ration balancer. So just a pound of essential care, a pound of wholesome blends balancer, that's all they would need in addition to their pasture if they're maintaining their weight on that. Right. No, that's a good point. It's a good point. Always, when you talk pastures, always talk about that. But what are, I mean, the pastures are, are, it's just awesome. You drive around, you see these animals out there grazing. Used to always go out in the morning with my coffee and watch mares and foals grazing. You'd love to see them on, on pasture. So there's benefits to us as owners, right? I mean, you know, you, even the barn, I'm sure when you enter the barn, you love that smell and seeing your horses, but what are some of the benefits to the horse other than nutrition? You know, what are some of the health benefits? Yeah. Outside of just, you know, basic nutrition, you know, mentally, it's really great for them to have that activity where they're acting like a horse. So whether they're out on solo turnout or they're out in a group, it just allows them to move more naturally, to go through that grazing behavior. There are a lot of ways that we keep horses that aren't necessarily true with how they developed, but it doesn't necessarily take a lot of turnout time for some of them to just keep them a lot happier in their minds. So it's good for their bodies to be moving around. It puts them in that natural grazing position. So they're stretching down with their neck and even just that exercise and socialization with other horses. It's just really great for them mentally. As owners, I mean, other than a calmer horse to ride a lot of times, the other thing you think about is even though there is management involved in pastures, it does decrease your cost in hay, the amount of bedding that you're going through, the labor to clean stalls. So there are some other parts that from a management perspective make turnout really attractive in certain operations. Right, right, right. And, you know, there's 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 costs associated with both. So, you know, obviously establishing your pasture, there are some costs associated and maintenance, fertilization, seeding, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it's still, it's just when you see them out there, it just always makes me smile. It always makes me smile. Now we do want to talk a little bit about transitioning from winter to spring. I mean, we're in the middle of it now, but I guess I wanted to paint a picture of, of what our pastures look like during the winter and then transitioning into spring. And then you know, later we go start going into summer. What does that look like? Like what do our pastures look like over the winter? Sure. So I want to put the caveat that obviously if you live in different parts of the country, this varies a little bit, but most of the time, unless you're really far south, your pastures are going to be dormant over the winter. So ideally, you really wouldn't have your horses turned out on dormant grass. The reason for this, there's very little nutritional value and the amount of grazing they can do and just the hoof damage to wet soil can really impact your pastures productivity the next year. So ideally, we'd have them in some sort of sacrifice lot during those winter months to preserve the pasture. But during the winter, it's dormant. And as we move into spring, 
if we're talking about cool season grasses, you know, roughly when the temperatures are like in the 60s and the soil temperature is high enough that you actually have emergence of that, you're going to get that fresh growth of your cool season grasses. So they're most productive in the spring and the fall. And then actually, as you get warmer into the summer, if you have predominantly cool season grass in your pasture, you're going to hit a slump because basically the temperatures get too high for those cool season grasses to be really productive. So you're going to have a decrease in productivity and a decrease of nutrition in kind of the late summer when you talk about those cool season grasses. They pick up in the fall and then, of course, go dormant once temperatures really fall low enough again over the winter. In other parts of the country, you're going to have a lot of warm season grasses. Those thrive at a higher temperature. And even in some parts, um, kind of the middle of the country, if you will, you can plant some warm season grasses that'll actually be a part of your blend that'll pick up some of that gap during the heat of the summer when your cool season grasses are less productive, your warm season grasses will actually pick up a bit because they thrive when it's above 90 degrees because they need a really high soil temperature to be really productive. Right, right. That was, that was good points. It's, what, what, I guess my question is just very quickly. What are some of the typical cool season grasses we see in the United States and, or legumes? Yeah, so this is going to vary a lot, and this is by no means a comprehensive list. Some of your cool season grasses that would be in pasture mixes are things like orchard grass, Kentucky bluegrass, uh, smooth brome grass would be another one, uh, some of your perennial ryegrass type things. And then legumes, it's most typically different types of clover in your pasture mixes. You could have alfalfa as well, but I'd say it's more typical to see a clover in a pasture and then a alfalfa actually produced for hay production. Now, last week we, we did talk about transitioning and, and there's a whole podcast on that, but do you want to just give some quick tips just as kind of like, you know, to reinforce what we talked about for horse owners, like especially, you know, transitioning from a winter, probably predominantly hay diet to these lush spring pastures? Absolutely. And funny enough, one of my coworkers came to ask me about this for her new pony and I sent her to our podcasting. She was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I listened to this because right here in Ohio, we're experiencing these warm days and cool nights. So what's going to happen is your cool season grasses is predominantly what we're talking about in the spring. When the temperature gets high enough, they're no longer dormant. So it's nice and green. And you're like, yes, let's turn my horses out. However, What happens is during the day when there's sunlight, you have the accumulation of sugars in those grasses. At night, the grasses would use them up to grow. But if you have any rate limiting factor, which would be moisture, soil fertility, or in the spring temperature, the grass can't grow. And what ends up happening is day after day, you're accumulating more and more sugar. So if the horse isn't adapted to being on pasture. And even if they are adapted and you have those cold nighttime temperatures and then warm sunny days, all of the sugar accumulates in the grasses. So if you have a metabolic horse, this is a prime situation where we have that laminitis on pasture because they absorb all those sugars in their small intestine and have a big insulin spike. You have that laminitic event. You can also see issues with horses who just aren't adapted to that lush pasture. If we took them from straight hay, toss them out on that gorgeous grass, they're going to eat a bunch of it. And because they're not adapted to that, it's going to really upset their digestive tract. And you can have 
anything from a mild colic to a really serious colic, just because it's such a dramatic change from what they're used to eating. So I'd recommend you go check out that podcast for a lot more specifics on this. But the main thing to realize is that it's not a good idea to just chuck a horse out on pasture if it's not used to it. And the worst time of year you could do that is in the spring because of that difference in temperature, making all that sugar accumulate in the grass. Oh, yeah, no, I know. I've seen it. I've seen it. I know I talked about it. I just, every time you talk about it and that lush, every time I think of lush forage, throwing a horse out there, I always remember that mare that had that gas colic and it just was a tragic, ugh, you know, it's just, it always sticks with you. It always, that one case always sticks with you. And so, you know, then you go out and share your stories. These pastures are just so important to nutrition. So, how do we, and this is, I, I mean, obviously this can be a five hour talk, you know, on pasture management, but what are some tips like for an owner to, you know, maintain productivity of the pasture? When would they want to seed, you know, and then when would they want to add fertilizer? I mean, those are things, it, it, again, I know this is a a long talk, but what are just some tips, like general tips, like when they should be thinking about when to add seed, when to add fertilizer, things like that, so they can keep these pastures productive? Great question. So my big caveat will be, I would recommend you reach out to an agronomist in your particular area and seek out the specifics for where you live, because it can even vary county by county, depending on the soil type, the type of forages that we're growing, your weather conditions. But very broadly, what you would look at doing is generally we would be seeding in the fall. However, there are situations where you might frost seed or even seed in the spring, but the weather conditions have to be pretty specific for that. And then in terms of fertilizer, what you ideally would do is actually do some soil testing. So you would get a representative sample. It's even great if you can go pasture by pasture because it can vary across a property. Get that tested and then get fertilization recommendations based on that. So I know we just fertilized here in the spring and actually, you know, we wound up doing some frost seeding um, so that we could overseed some pastures that way. But generally you're looking at fall seeding for cool season grasses. Yeah, no, it is. It is. That's a, that's a great point. You know, finding the agronomist to help you do never hesitate to, to ask for help, especially, you know, in, in anything with management and weeds, you know, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, spraying for weeds is something my husband gets to do. I like talk about all this pasture <laughs> stuff like I do it. No, I totally farm that job out to my dear, wonderful husband. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I mean, the big picture things are overseeding when you need to, fertilizing depending on what the ground actually needs, spraying for weeds. And then also, again, if we're thinking about how do we want to use our pasture? Is it a significant source of our horse's forage? Is it just for, you know, exercise and socialization? The other thing is being careful on how you're grazing because horses are really damaging. Um, they are one of the most damaging grazing animals. So, you know, the height that you should actually start grazing is pretty high. Um, depending if we're talking different types of varieties, it's six to 10 inches is what the amount of grass you should have to start grazing. And then three to four inches when you pull them off. So you'd ideally rotate pastures. 
and rest them. So it takes some time for that kind of grass to really bounce back. It could just be a couple weeks in the spring. It could be six to eight weeks in that midsummer slump because what ends up happening if you don't care for your pastures, even if you're saying, I, I don't need it to be a significant source of forage, if you overgraze them, you're going to have weeds come in. And in some cases, those are toxic weeds. So we need to be really mindful of that. And you're impacting the nutrition of it. So one thing that I've definitely heard that's a misconception out there is if you have that horse who's sensitive to sugars is, oh yeah, let's put them on the overgrazed pasture so they can't eat a lot of grass. A lot of times that stressed overgrazed pasture is actually higher in sugar than a well-managed pasture. So being really mindful of all those things is pretty complicated. That is, it is. And and it, it it's a whole nother talk too, just like rotational grazing, different grazing systems uh, that you can put in place. But I think, I think that's important to highlight is, you know, go, putting them on pasture when the forage reaches a certain height, taking them off, find that sacrificial area that you mentioned earlier. Uh, it's just great considerations for, for horse owners. So thank you, Nicole. Any final tips for the listeners? You know, I think my biggest tip would be to recognize that even more than hay, your pasture is constantly changing. So we talked about how, you know, different grasses are more productive at different times of year. Different grasses will be more energy dense than others. Like your cool season will be more energy dense than your warm season grasses. So I think it's important to really keep an eye on your horse's body condition and be mindful of what secondary concentrate you're feeding to fill in those gaps, because it really can change pretty dramatically. Even though you're saying, well, he's been out grazing for 12 hours every day. I have good pasture. The actual nutrition he gets from that pasture is going to fluctuate quite a bit as you move through these different seasons. So I think just be mindful that it's a big portion of their diet and it's not a static portion of their diet. So don't be afraid to reach out to us if you have any questions and say, you know, I've been on this program. Things aren't working the way they were before. We're always happy to help you kind of adjust things to make sure we're filling in those gaps appropriately. That's great stuff. Great stuff as always. So I think we'll wrap it up with this one. And just for the listeners, again, thank you so much for following us, subscribing. And if you could share this podcast with your equine enthusiast friends, as always, we appreciate that. And stay tuned for next week. All right. Take care. Thanks, Chris.